0: You're listening to Pod Wars with Gary and Justice. Hey guys, this is Gary, and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little nuggets of geeky media. I'm here today with the man, the myth, the legend, our boy Justice. What's up, guys? So. Before we dive into the amazingness that is our interview with Jack Geckler, animator for little-known films like Star Wars, Force Awakens, and big fan of Nick Cage, just like the two of us, let's dive into our Twitter tidbits. Live 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 from the the Pod pod Nation, nation. we bring we bring you Twitter Tidbits. So, for Twitter Tidbits, we'd like to thank all y'all for getting involved with the Mando poll. We had, if you remember from our last podcast, ask, who is your favorite Mandalorian and why? And it is oddly neck and neck between the four options. So, Mando and Sabine are the two winners co-winners which surprised me i was surprised to see that sabine love which i was pleasantly surprised because sabine's pretty darn dope
1: yeah she's an awesome character and she's a really an amazing arc that happens over
0: the course of rebels and we did have at 13 percent each boba and Django. we had uh, a good amount of comments in defense of boba fett i will admit that both Myself and Justice and all of Pod Wars have said some heated things about Boba Fett, how he is a lesser character. We are rehabilitating ourselves as Star Wars fans to enjoy the Boba that is and not hate on him as much. I don't think he's as cool as Mando or Django still, but these comments have gotten me to realize that he has a lot more to him than people give him credit. I mean, he did, like, fight against Luke in a comic that we're going to be talking about in a later podcast. He's been involved in a lot of Clone Wars, so I do respect the podcast that named that out. Uh, specifically, at Pink Milkhouse and at Radio Rebel Pod, who brought up that idea of Boba Fett being more of a kind of awesome and just really cool character then a lot of people, including us, gave him credit. So thank you guys for sharing your opinions and being a big part of the poll. But I think just as you had a, like a little bit of a new Twitter question for this week.
1: Yeah. So the Twitter question probably will release a little bit later this week. Um, but, or I guess later next week. Um, but are you currently enjoying DC image or Marvel comics more? Uh, So what, and then you could tell us what you're currently reading. Um, We want to know what you guys are enjoying out there. Maybe we'll talk about it in the podcast, but want to know, do you like DC image or Marvel more?
0: Yeah. So let us know on the Twitter and we'll get back to you guys. Give you a little shout out in the pod. If we find some spicy comments in there, we love hearing the feedback from the, pod nation out there so please let us know now i think it's time for us to dive into a really dope interview so we're going to be talking today with jack geckler and jack geckler as i mentioned and we'll kind of break down more is a really really interesting and just fun guy to talk to and he's worked with different movies from animation with like how to train your dragon kung fu panda to live action with pirates of the caribbean and our kind of favorite parts with the marvel and star wars universe he's worked thor ragnarok and force awakens so prepare for the amazingness that is the podcast ahead all right guys so i'm really excited to introduce on the show a new friend of the podcast jack geckler thanks for coming on today jack no worries so for the uninitiated, Jack Geckler is an animator who does a lot of previs, motion capture, works on anything from video games to big blockbuster movies. So here's some of his crazy list of movies he's worked on. You got some old childhood classics of Sky High, Night at the Museum, some Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, and also into the live action with Pirates of the Caribbean and our personal favorite as a Star Wars and Marvel podcast, he's worked on Thor Ragnarok, Deadpool 2, and Star Wars Force Awakens. So, you know, some tiny little films there, Jack, in your repertoire.
2: One or two. Yeah, you
0: know, some, like, little indie films. But, Justice, would you like to jump him in with our usual first question that we give? Yeah. First question for the interview, what is
1: your favorite Star Wars movie? Now, Gary and I,
0: we, we kind of have a
1: bet. We think we know what you're going to say, but... We want to hear from you. What, what is your favorite Star Wars movie?
2: <laughs> you guys have a bet. Um, <clears throat> uh, that's a tricky one. And I, and I know you guys sent over questions. I was looking at that. And I get asked this one a lot. Um, and it, and it, it sometimes changes. Uh, you know, clearly I'm biased on episode seven. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm biased. But then again, I also think it. I, I'm also a huge fan of that movie by itself. Um, just from the passion side of what JJ brought to it, and then two, kind of one of the best ways to reboot a franchise that you know was kind of struggling from what the prequels were. Um, but you know, I'm 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 an older fella who was who was born in '76, um, and as much as as much as I love New Hope, and I and I truly love Empire, like everybody does. Um, my childhood movie and this might surprise me, but my childhood movie really was Return of the Jedi. Um, mm, because that's, that's I, I vividly remember my younger self going to the theater for that one. Um, I remember very vividly having the toys. Um, and just recently re-watching it with my kids, um, there's a lot in that movie I like. Um, you know, if you can get past any of the hatred people have for just uh, the Ewoks, there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff in that movie, um, so yeah, I'm 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 on the fence between like Jedi and, and, and Episode Seven, but dude, I'm like I, said, I can nerd out about each of the movies, even the prequels. Um, I'm that guy. What did what did you guys have? What what was the bet? What did well, you guys pick?
0: Every guest always says Empire, but we're yeah. like, okay, he's obviously biased towards force awakens but i love how you mentioned that like you love force awakens and return of the jedi one that started the new trilogy and then one that finished the old so like very different kind of feel to both movies
2: completely but like to me like it's it's like the one segue into the other segue and kind of how they married um and for me you know going going into work on episode seven and being kind of somewhat early but not not too far into the process um and just seeing kind of the passion and the forethought of fans behind that movie, at least from JJ's point of view, um, it, it added a certain appreciation to it. Uh, and the more that I've watched it over time, I keep trying to think about where they could have went. And I'm sure you guys have too. Like when all when all of it came out, and, and whether people loved it or hated it, there was all this fanfare. But you got to stop and think, like, what? Okay, fine. If it was your project, what would you have done? <laughs> you know to make that to make it something new with just an essence of what was there before and how do you marry that
0: right yeah well i mean to lead off of that kind of how do you feel they did with This initial start of Force Awakens leading into the Rise of Skywalker. What do you think was well executed? Maybe not as well executed. No need to bite the hand that feeds you with that one. But (laughs) give us an idea of kind of like, as somebody who worked on the beginning of the sequel trilogy, how do you feel about its fruition?
2: Right. Um, Well, they've already fed me, so I feel like I can bite it if I want, which is good. I, I, I don't work for that part of Disney now. I'm for I'm working at another part of Disney. Um, so I guess part of it still feeds me. Um, no, I I think like coming from a place where I was in dailies and listening to JJ um, give notes and and his passion and and if anybody ever questions his passion for this franchise, dude, then they 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 need to do the research. This guy this guy was very vested in uh not only how much it meant to him as a kid like it, it did to me being on it um but how much he thought about things that the fans would say like we would do things and there was consistent questions of i remember in meetings all the time but well, what will fans think and i've been on a lot of films and and there's there's not a lot of people or directors who give two shit, no offense to fans. like you end up loving a movie, but that's not necessarily always their thought process. They're more like, Hey, what's my vision? What do I want to get up on the screen? And he, yeah. he had a vision, but his, his, he was very much more uh, inclined to be like, hey, here's my vision, but how do we, how do we make this still feel and make it great for fans? And like how they, so that they appreciate it, but also understand that we need to kind of start something new as well. And I th- I think mm. that was a tough thing for people. It's like, oh man, but I I, I want all my old stuff. Like, hey, what are you doing with new? But how do you marry the two? So I, I think I think Force Awakens was a nice segue. Um, I think <laughs> I think Eight has its has its issues, mm. but I-, I think that's inherent, and and I I'm sure you guys can. I think it's inherent of two when you when you start to deviate with directors, and that sometimes can work, right? So Empire. Empire is a great example, right? Like it, it can work where you bring in different directors. Um, but I think what's, what happened there is a struggle of a director though, who really wanted to turn the course of where seven was at and maybe where seven was going. Um, and I think that started some problems that then JJ had to pick up and basically create answers for. Mm-hmm. And And I think a lot of what's in nine, like, I think that's, a lot of it that even some of it I have problems where he's just having to pick up these things of just answers like, okay, crap. Um, Maybe not what I would have done, but okay, we got to answer these now. (laughs) And then, and then how do I tie that back into what I still want to see in this movie? But um, I don't know. I I think they're fun. You know, I, I think overall they're pretty fun. I think it sets itself up to open up the universe a bit more um, I've, I've had some debates recently with people who were kind of upset to see the lineage of the Skywalker name end but I got to be honest, any true fanboy could see that if they really wanted to now I don't know if fanboys are going to be into this or not they could very easily easily say, you know Luke had that hidden child that nobody knew about like i, I you know there's all these windows that they could they could possibly open oh, up
0: absolutely. But- <laughs>
2: I, I think I think I think JJ did the best he could on the end of that with giving everybody a little bit of uh, their fan favorites in there. Is kind of how I feel about it. Um, but I think eight, like eight in the middle. I think there's some beautiful moments in eight. I think the ending of eight is really beautiful. Uh, the fight on the stand there. Um, but it also had a little too much Lucas in it, which is the part I don't like about it.
0: Um, <laughs> You've thrown in some hot takes for the fanboys there. I like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've, uh, I've, I've had it from all angles from, uh, how I personally feel, how, I mean, even guys I worked with at ILM, uh, th- there's some, there's some really hardcore fanboy animators who are on this as well, who, who, uh, some of the guys that I worked with who worked on episode, the, uh, the prequels, um, and, uh, you know, they all have their opinions. But, you know, when we work on these films, uh, you know, we uh, we as animators, we don't always have to clearly say oh, what's happening. You know, we get our moments and then that's about the extent, you know.
0: Yeah, I think I think you have a very even handed approach to that of respecting the love that JJ had, because you're right. I mean, how many is, is Martin Scorsese going to care about what his fans think? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So it's really something special that you got to be part of. A project that actually cared what its people who grew up with it, what mattered to them. But let's take a little step back. I know we were kind of wondering too. What was the process of how you got into the film industry and then ended up at the doorstep of Disney and their new Star Wars series?
2: Yeah, I uh, way back like in the kind of mid nineties when I left school, uh, I I actually went and worked for Disney in Orlando. Um, And I got a job in entertainment and uh, it was kind of the last thing I thought I was going to be doing. Um, I went to an audition for very tall and very little people. And it was like a full, like like acting, like kind of like dance. You do a dance routine, you do some acting. And I was like, you know, and I it's like, oh my God, what's going on with this? Um, And uh, out of, there was probably about a hundred of us. They hired me as the only tall guy. And then they hired two little people. And I was like, okay. In my head, not not really. I had been out of like going to Disney with the parks for my family for years, so I had no idea. And uh, I got into the, I got in when I got hired, and they're like, hey, we're going to send you to. At the time, it was called MGM Studios. I believe it's called Hollywood Studios now in Orlando. And they're like, hey, um, Lucas has just given us the rights back to use his characters on set, and um, we want to start you off being Chewbacca. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, uh, and I knew you guys would probably appreciate this. I don't get to talk about it much. Um, so one of my main gigs besides for doing like goofy on set was, uh, was doing chewy on set for quite a while. Um, and I did, I did character work and then I did puppeteer work at the parks for probably about five years. Um, but during that time it like, it gave me an opportunity. I was there during the first star Wars weekends that they held. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got to meet Peter Mayhew. I got to meet Anthony Daniels. I got to meet all those guys in a very close capacity, too. Um, sometimes, so cool. Sometimes in the Chewie costume, sometimes just, like, I was also playing Vader, uh, Imperial Guard. There was a couple other characters during that weekend I got to play. But uh, Chewie, Chewie was the best because uh, when he came, like, when Mayhew came, he came with Jeremy Bullock, uh, who's who plays Boba Fett in the movies. And, uh... <laughs> My friend Kevin, who was really good friends actually with with Jeremy and Peter, um, and he's also one of the main controllers of R two for a lot of the, the touring stuff. He was the only one allowed to dress as Boba Fett that weekend because he knew Jeremy really well. So he's like, Jack, come over here. He's like, Meet Peter, meet these guys. And I was in full Chewy costume, and I'm so the you know people listening don't know I'm I'm six four as it is, but I also had four inch lifts on, so I was about six eight. Um, Peter stands up, and he's, he has some back problems, but he stands up, and this man is still – it felt like he was still a foot taller than I was. Oh, my um, gosh. He's a Kevin, guy. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge, huge man. Um, and he, he's like, hey, man, do the, do the growl for me. Do the growl for Peter. He's going to love this. And I was one of the few people who could do the growl pretty well. And the costume actually had a retractable jaw, so like when I move my mouth, it would move the 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 jaw of Chewie. So I do this growl, and Peter's like losing. He's like, "Oh, that's, that's better than what we had on set in the movies." And uh, so that's that's my like that's probably one of my biggest Star Wars highlights besides working on it.
1: Are we are um, we able to hear uh, a, a Chewie growl right now?
2: Oh, uh, let's, it let's a- see. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, my, my 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 kids still love it. Um, <laughs>
0: nice you you have the the subtlety at the end too it's like showing you gotta do the yeah you
2: gotta do the variations
0: yeah okay i have to ask like how hot as hell was that chewy costume in like all of these parks wearing down like basically a huge parka onesie
2: that's the best that's the best way to put it it literally is a it, it is a parka onesie uh and on top of that, I had on this like pat, this giant like kind of football style padding, because I'm, I'm a, i I was a, you know I was a skinny I still am a, a skinny guy, so they had to bulk me up in the costume. Um, and then you're in Florida humidity, so oh. so you do like you do like 30 minutes on set, and then you do you take a break and you do 30 minutes offset to give you a breather. But during that those Star Wars weekends. Um, it, it wasn't unheard of to just want to stay in the car co- like it was just such a cool time and there were so many people there visiting to do signings and just hanging out um i got to have lunch with anthony daniels which was awesome just chilling um that you you would eat, you would tend to be in the costume a lot longer than you should have been um because we would do all these press photos too of uh of just you know if, if you've been to orlando and you've been to hollywood studios they have like the Endor set so it'd be like in the Endor village and just all these craziness um so yeah you'd be close to death at any given moment if you if you were out there for like an hour (laughs) but uh but yeah that 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 led that kind of told towards the end there it kind of was like okay well I was getting more into the puppeteering things and I and I did a show called Bear in the Big Blue House that was there um and that led to a little bit more work at home because I was a pretty big gamer and I was getting into computers pretty heavily. And um, I started with a roommate of mine and we started working on like doing puppeteering through the computer and doing these green screen like videos that us uh, we found out a school uh, in Orlando called Full Sail was, had just started an animation program. So we went down and did a tour um, and we were both kind of sold. Um, and I knew when I was through there that like, the movies that inspired me were kind of like Star Wars, uh, Blade Runner, Matrix was somewhat had just been out a couple years and that was kind of inspiring what they were doing. Um, and I realized that that as much as I loved playing video games at the time, like film was really like was kind of an end goal if I could, if I could do that someday. Um, whereas a lot of my other counterparts who I was with were like Toy Story and a lot of the animated feature, which I love. I think they're awesome. Um, but my passion was more for like live action stuff. And um, went through, graduated, um, stuck around Orlando for a bit and then uh, just made a decision that like, look, if I want to make this happen, I need to be where it's happening. And I felt at the time Los Angeles was the move. Um, so I packed up the old 93 Camry and uh, <laughs> I drove from Orlando to L.A. Uh, by myself. Um, and I had a buddy there who was willing to let me stay on his couch. And uh, I was on his couch for about. Two months um solely looking for work until I got a break uh actually on a game at a game studio. And the game at the time, like I was blown when I walked in was they were doing a version of Fight Club. Now note this was years after the movie had been out. But I was a huge fight club fan, like huge fight club fan. To the point of like when I played video games, the team I was on in Quake Three was called Project Mayhem. Like I was all in. So like I was like what like, Uh, so I worked on that. I worked on that game, uh, for the PlayStation two and Xbox. And while I was working on that, I had another buddy who moved out and he took a job at a visual effects studio called asylum effects. And that was in Santa Monica. And they were working on a couple. They had been working on like master and commander and some other like commercials, really cool commercials for PlayStation. Um, and he hits me up one day. And at this point I had wrapped up fight club and I'd started working on, uh, 50 cent bulletproof it was a game for 50 cent um where there was a lot of like angled shooting with your gun and that kind of gangster style stuff and uh he he, he hits me up and he says hey we have this new film they need to hire uh a junior animator why don't why don't you come out and uh we're going to all play paintball next week and why don't you come play paintball with us i'm like what he's like just come out and play paintball with the studio i'm like all right so i went out and uh hung out with those guys for the day and just got a lot like instant connection got along with all those guys great so that that led to me meeting the lead animator um they still wouldn't tell me the film and they said hey he's like hey why don't you send me some of your stuff so what i was doing at the time like i would animate something for 50 cent i'd do like a video of it myself and i would send it to him um which you shouldn't do you shouldn't do that uh but that led Please for you to be tell
0: like, me you still have those videos. Those have to be I, really I have special. Some of them.
2: I, I think I have some of them floating around somewhere. Uh, and, and I, and I sent, uh, I sent those and he calls me up and said, Hey, you know, why don't you come in for an interview? I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So I took a lunch break and I, and I drove across from the Valley to Santa Monica and, um, and it and like, Hey, they still wouldn't tell me They're like, Hey, you know, we have this film, we have these sequences, you know, and they talk, talked to me about it. And, uh, you know, I was just stoked to be at that studio. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. But I left kind of thinking, well, you know, it was a good, it was a good interview, but I'm probably not going to get it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I don't have any film experience. And at the time in this industry, going from games to film was kind of unheard of. That wasn't something a lot of people did. Um, this is probably around 2004, 2003. Um, and halfway in my drive back, they said, hey, come back. We want to talk to you about the job. Like what? Oh, okay. And and not knowing how that process works in film, it can go pretty fast. And I sat in, and they put me with the executive producer, and started talking money. And uh, next thing I knew, I was hired. And I drove back to work, you know, the second half of the day, and, and put in my notice like immediately. Um, and uh, I come back to the studio, and it and it was for Sky High. And they were like, "Hey, Mike Mitchell, who." Uh, who was an animator and went to Cal arts is going to be directing this thing. And it's his ki- these kids with super powers and Kurt Russell's going to be in it. And it's all the kids in the hall guys. And I was like, what? And uh, you know, my eyes got super big and um, I was at this visual effects studio. I'm going to be working on a movie. And um, I kind of just jumped all in. Uh, and, and while I was there, the studio did a lot of stuff like they did commercials as well. And they also had a lot of other projects come in. And I was like that guy right when I started, right? I was like, if something new came in, like they, they had all these Game Boy spots for Nintendo and being this game, I was like, I'll do them. Hey, we need Mario animated. Oh, I'll do it. We need Zelda. We need Link animated. I'll do it. Um, so cool. And during that time though, which was awesome, was that uh, we had got awarded the intro sequence for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And one of my childhood movies, still to this day, and my kids is, as uh, Willy Wonka, chocolate factory so i was already, but i was already like dude i'll do whatever i have to do to be on this project please um and it gave me an opportunity to meet tim burton which is i'm also a huge nightmare before christmas fan so it like if it, it covered all <laughs> it was like an amazing first kind of experience uh to be in that world but uh i still love sky high like i, I like i still to this day uh when it pops up i'll watch it with the kids uh and it's oh, still me- a super fun film
1: me too i, I mean I was telling Gary this before, but, like, that movie is awesome. Um, We would drive to my grandparents' house, and we had this, like, old, like, DVD, like, portable player, and we would just, like, my sister and I would just sit there and watch that, and we would finish it, like, on the way there and back. And, like, that was, like, the one movie that we could agree upon to, like, watch all the time. And so, like, I I love, love, love that movie.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. A funny little story from that you might appreciate then. So, like, not knowing how films work early on, they put temp – uh, they put temp scores to movies, right, so that the editor can start doing his thing, and they get an idea. And, and not, probably not a lot of people realize is that they use popular music, either from other movies that fit the tone until the the soundtracks end, or uh, or they just use really good music that they like. And a lot of the sequences when we first watched it, uh, they had like Metallica dubbed in in sequences, and um, and I was and I was watching these, and I I didn't know any better at first. I'm like oh, they're really going to use Metallica in this? Like, this is crazy. Um, and then I, the the part there where he, like, finds his love interest, you know, and it's like, uh, uh, I forgot that. Da, 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 da. I know this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that was the one <laughs> time that they, of that they managed to actually get because it was so good.
1: That's cool. Oh, Yeah, man. it was super, that's, that's it was super awesome.
2: fun. Yeah, super fun.
1: That's cool. I mean that's like pre My Hero Academia. I don't know if you know that or what that show is, but like it's for those who don't know who Sky High. Like that's that's basically what it is.
2: So yeah, it's I I wish that it's it had uh, it had taken off because it, it felt like they could have easily got away with a fun sequel from that um, with a bigger budget than we had. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's 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 good to have been a first film and not have been a complete dive because you never know what you're working on.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of not complete dives, so, <laughs> okay, so you started over on these, <laughs> on like, from video games, and that was your break. breakout into film. Did you, uh, just over connections, end up towards Lucasfilm? Is it kind of one of those moments where just luck got you on their doorstep?
2: Yes, yes, because it, it's... uh. Yeah, like you know, for me, I think as the prequels were ending, because I had a, I had a friend, like one of my instructors, where I was at Full Sail, he had an opportunity and got hired uh, for I think episode one, and then he worked through all of them, and I was just so envious of him getting a chance to do that. Um, but as time went on in my career, you know, a lot of things play into the factor. Like so, you know, I alums in San Francisco. Here I am in. Los Angeles. Um, you kind of get in a situation where you realize it's not always as easy to just go up there or get a chance to work there. Um, but I had kept applying when things had popped up over the years just in case. But my career was going in this path of where I stayed at Asylum for a while and then I left and, and, I, and I had an opportunity. I had always wanted to work at Sony and I got an opportunity to go work at Sony on Beowulf and I was there for a long time on that. And then it was just a string of these projects that kept kind of backing up that, uh, the window kind of never opened the door, I guess. Um, and then I like, I had met my, uh, my ex-wife at the time. And like life kind of takes a hold of you once you kind of get into a career and industry that, uh, it's not that you lose your dreams. They're just not, you're not thinking about them as much because you're just in the moment of what you're working on. Right. And, and time passed and, and, uh, I had worked on a lot of stuff and then I ended up at DreamWorks and I was at DreamWorks for about six years and at the talent at DreamWorks, they were going through some huge changes uh, where I saw things were going to change. And it's, they had went from a cycle where we had made two movies a year, which my first movie there was how to train your dragon. Um, And my last movie there was the penguins of Madagascar movie. And where we were doing two movies a year and the staff there had, it had bulked up enough to accommodate for that, but they attempted to try to do three movies and it just kind of backfired. And uh, because the stories change and all this, and all of a sudden you have all these employees who are sitting doing nothing and you're paying a lot of money out. So I saw some things coming and they decided that they were going to close down PDI, which was the San Francisco office of DreamWorks. And Knowing that that was happening, I knew that they were probably going to start to do layoffs at our Glendale studio. And I just kind of like, I'm that guy who's always like pessimistic. Like, I'm always like, hey, dude, the sky's falling. That's just me in this industry. So the fortunate thing is I had worked on all these live action movies. So when all this started going down, I started putting my ear to the ground and reaching out to friends that I had in the industry all over. Um, and I had a few friends who had worked at ILM, uh, one at IL- ILM Singapore, my buddy who had worked on the prequels. Um, and I started kind of thinking to myself, well, look, if I'm going to go for some stuff right now, you know, screw it. I'm going to go big or go home. So I just started hitting up all these studios. So I was like, you know, dream studios that when I got into it, like I'd wanted to work for Weta in New Zealand and I'd wanted to work for ILM. Those were like the two ones that I hadn't hit on my list yet. And uh, sure enough, um, I, got, I got some calls for some different interviews, and I had those. And the, some of the first interviews I had were with ILM, and they really wanted me to go to Singapore, um, to their Singapore studio, for a project they had going on called The Great Wall. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. It's with Matt Damon. Um, and they, they were pushing that pretty heavy. And I said, man, I don't really... You know, I'm, I'm not really looking to go, like, leave my kids and go out to Asia for a year. Um, do you have anything going on in San Francisco? And they kind of kept on about the Singapore thing, but then they, like, would dangle the carrot about, well, hey, what if you come to, you know, San Francisco first, and maybe we could put you on a couple projects, and, um, and then maybe you go to Singapore then after. And I'm like, well, okay, may, maybe, you know, whatever. And um, sure enough, layoffs start to happen, I kind of get noticed, hey... <laughs> <clears throat> you're part of this like i think it was 2500 people laid off um just in our studio alone so i had a couple of weeks and during that time they called back and said hey we uh we're going to set up an interview we don't know what project it's for but it's it's either going to be for jurassic world age of ultron or force awakens and in my head i'm like i <laughs> I don't give a shit which one. Those are all awesome. I'll work on any of those. <laughs> <laughs> like either on, like, Jurassic Park, Marvel or a star Wars movie. I'm like, these are all wins. But like in the back of my head, I was like, Oh, please, please let this be force awakens. Like I just like, you know, or let, let it be, let it be, let it be the star Wars phone. Um, and, uh, I get the call and they're like, Hey, we're going to set this up. Um, and it's, it's for our star Wars project. Uh, the animation soup and the coordinator are going to call you. And I was like, okay. And I've done this a while now. And you kind of just, the interview stuff, like I, it's something I look forward to. Like I like interviewing, but I've never been more nervous for whatever reason than getting this call. <laughs> like I was like sitting by the phone. Like I, like I had just gotten into the industry and I'm like waiting for this call. He, the guy calls me. and it It's the funniest thing because he calls me and he says to me, he says, look, he's like, uh, I don't even know what I'm allowed to talk to you about, to be honest. Uh, and he's talking to his coordinator the whole time, be like, "What can I tell him? Can I tell him anything?" She's like, "No, not really." So he just comes right. and goes, "Listen, he goes, I saw your reel. How do you feel about animating spacecraft?" And I was like, "What? Like ships? How do you feel about that?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, you know, I did, I, I, I did the school bus and Sky High, and I've animated this, this and I'm naming stuff I animated." He's like, "It's like cool, cool. All right." well, hey man it's been a great talk and well, you know and uh we'll we'll reach back out and I'm not lying that was literally it like, and he hangs oh up gosh. the phone and I'm just like sitting in my, <laughs> I'm sitting there just staring at my phone going well I I guess I didn't get that um though I don't know what else I could have did and then within probably 5 to 6 minutes I get a call back uh from the recruiter she's like he loved you um when you know we want to put you on this project when can you start I'm like what and I, it like it's it's took a while to hit me, and I was still pessimistic till I got the email, like the the uh, the actual like uh, acceptance email that I have to sign to send back, and it had like the actual title name, and I about lost it in my office. I was like, I I can't I can't I can't believe this is happening. What? So I basically ended work on a Friday at DreamWorks. And then drove up to my buddy's house in Napa in San Francisco to start work at ILM on Monday.
1: That's awesome. That's oh crazy. Like, that turn of events is just wild. And
2: it literally was that it literally was that fast. Like I was in the Presidio on Monday, walking into my soup's office to sit down as he played the this first sequence for me. And me trying my hardest to not lose my shit at the desk as he played, <laughs> as he played the uh the uh the makeshift title sequence so that i had an idea what i was about and i had goosebumps from every part of my body and i was sitting there as cool as i could be right and he looked at me at one point he goes you can nerd out man and i was like oh my god this is the coolest thing and i like lost it in the office. <laughs>
1: i don't know how you would keep your cool like that's just like seeing that
2: well because you kind of like it, like, I mean, the anime sleep I was with had worked on all the prequels, uh, he, and, and he had been there since like, uh, deep rising. Like he's been at ILM for like almost like 20 years. And, and, you know, when when you, when you work on so much stuff for so long, like you, you almost in, in inherently become somewhat desensitized. And I've tried so hard not to lose that. Cause I think that's the best part about what we do is to not become just desensitized to everything that we see all the time. Um, But this was so special to me (laughs) that I was like, "Look, I'm like, I'm gonna lose it. Like, I, I, you know, this is the coolest thing ever." Um,
0: Well, you can like brag to your other buddies, be like, "Yeah, it took only one question, forty seconds, and I'd ILM eating out of (laughs) my hand, begging me to come on."
2: (laughs) No, the guys lost it at work. When I came back into work, and I was like, "Uh, "Yeah, I'm going up to ILM to work on Star Wars." Everybody in my team (laughs) lost their shit. They're like, "We want to quit." Is there response. we could go up there to work on? Like, <laughs> have more, uh... and I got to be honest, like if the opportunity had came up and I, you know, had lost, you know, I wasn't being let go, I probably would have left anyways. And, and it's a gamble. I mean, the contract I knew going in was for only four months and I knew I, I didn't want to live in San Francisco. Uh, I really just wanted to work on this project. And I, I still would have left. I still would have thrown caution to the wind to be like, look, if I don't do this and this movie is amazing, I'm going to smack myself for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. it's like, that would be like your ultimate regret not working on it.
2: Yeah. Because you, you just kind of knew, I mean, we didn't know too much about the film at that time. Um, down to even the trailer. Like I, nothing was released yet. I mean, it was all just fanfare what the movie was going to be. I think JJ, you know, JJ was announced as a director. Uh, but that was kind of it. Um, so I didn't even really know much. And they were really, really secretive. Like, I, I I sat in a separate building that was for overflow artists, but they sat me in a row by myself uh, and positioned me where no one could even see my monitors. Now, I, no, I'm surrounded by guys, dude, who are working on, like, Age of Ultron, uh, the a Warcraft movie, and then Jurassic World, which... That Jurassic World was kind of a reboot for that franchise. And you know, every day I'm walking by their desk going, dude, that's so awesome. Oh my God. was that a raptor? Like, and I'm like starstruck. And all of them were like hands over the wall looking at me, going, What are you doing? What are you working on today? Like, what? Because I sat out a bunch of like fanboys who were like every day, like uh dude. What, is it is that TIE Fighter? What's TIE Fighter doing? Like there's <laughs> all these questions every day, every day.
1: Well, speaking of <laughs> TIE Fighters, uh your your kind of claim to fame is the uh, apocalypse now tie fighter shot. Can you kind of describe what that uh, the process of making that and like what all went into that?
2: Yeah, I. Um, so when you start at ILM, you know, even if you're a senior and you've been doing this a while, they give you a they pair you up with a mentor to kind of just get you up to speed on ILM's process and what you do. And um, I had this awesome mentor who who he had, he had been there for years and years and years. Um, and he had had a couple of these shots that maybe we're going to be in a trailer. He had already started. Um, and I was just starting to play around with stuff like a, as a test bed of like, Hey, you know, load some assets in and just have fun and see what you can do. Like, so, you know, at my own desk, I had, I had the Falcon out. I had all this crazy cause I was just like a kid, at the candy store. And, um, through an unfortunate turn of events, his father got really sick. And he had to, he, he went to my soup and he said, No, give Jack these shots. Like I want Jack to have these. So he had already had kind of like a an early pass about what that was gonna be. But when I talked to them about it, like and, and he told me too, like they had no idea where it was gonna go. Like it was an idea that got thrown out there, like this would just be a really cool moment that I think we'd want to see, but we don't know in the movie where this would really fit yet. Um, Cause I kept asking that I'm like, where is this in the, I, where in the edit would this go? Like, I don't see a spot and I like, "No, no, just, it'll be, a, it'll maybe be a trailer shot, which, you know, a lot of people probably don't realize there's a lot of, there tends to be a lot of shots and trailers that don't make the final cut or they're never designed for the final cut of a movie. So, you know, in my head, I'm like, I don't care. It's pie fighters, dude. Let me just, <laughs> let me just have fun. Um, so I ended up doing, ironically, is as simple as maybe that shot looks to most people. I probably did 30 versions that we showed over time, uh, to JJ and, uh, the VFX soup and my anim soup, um, of what the shot could be. So there's, there's a version that I had that it was one of my, the funnest ones I did. I did one where I had an, um, like an armada, I had like 200 TIE fighters coming in, um, because we didn't oh know what it was going to be for. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was insane. It was nuts. Because they basically the way we approached shots were show, show JJ as many versions as you can show within the amount of time you have to work on something. So if you had a shot, because a lot of the times they didn't know what they wanted. We had previs, but we didn't really stick to it too much. So it would be like, hey, if you're doing this shot, I don't know, show us three or four versions. Um so I always did one that I like was mine was like a Jack version that I was like, man, if I was doing this, this is what this would look like. And then I would do a couple spares and then I would do one, maybe close to what his notes were um, just so we had different looks. So like, yeah, one with 200, which just I don't know what this is for. Is this like, they're going to war? Like, okay. So I did this massive <laughs> army of just TIE fighters coming in. Um, and also when I worked on it, I also didn't know at first that like we were going to have the sunset, that whole effect. I didn't really know how this was going to play out. Um, but they also too wanted it to be somewhat real to life for speed. So it looks like they're not moving, but they're actually moving about 300 miles per hour over the course of, of distance. Um, so we played around a lot with that uh, down to like subtleties of movements and shakes. Um, looking at the original movies and staying close to that. Um, and it was actually funny. One of the notes, uh, came later like from uh one of the old senior soups from some of the the original stuff was like hey you know just make sure it has all this kind of motion to it so it was that fine line of like trying to stick to the original feel of stuff but also bringing it into a new era of like how these things would move right because we didn't want to we didn't want to make a move completely stop motion because no one would want to see that now um but then when it came out uh I assumed it was only going to be for a trailer and I remember sitting there and I, I when it showed up in the Japanese trailer, it didn't even show up in the American trailer. I don't know if you guys know, knew that or not. So it was only in the one trailer. So when I went to the screening, uh, the cast and crew screening at the El Capitan here in Hollywood with the rest of everybody else. And that shot popped up on screen, dude. It like it is like was tears to my eyes. I'm like, oh my god, this looks so goddamn beautiful. <laughs> oh shit, because I, I I never got a really taste of what the lighters were gonna do to it after I had handed it off to them. Um, and then it kind of took a life of its own. Um, I have it on a shirt now. <laughs>
1: it kind like of a beautiful time. shot.
2: Well, because you don't know, you know, you work on shots and you don't know what are gonna be moments that stick with fans and stick with people and, and, uh, kind of, you know, hit with them. Um, and that one in particular, like I, you know, at the time I didn't think anything more than it was going to be like a cut to a quick cut and then something else. But, uh, no, it turned out to be a beautiful shot though.
1: So we, uh, we asked Twitter before, um, interviewing you, um, just if they had any questions and at Cam Ray asked, uh, or said, Color makes such a powerful statement in art. When creating a scene, when does the discussion or implementation of color take place?
2: Shots like that in particular, like they had some concept art. So it happens really early, Um, especially with like art directors will dive in and uh, they'll work with the storyboard artists and they'll work with just the design team early on. With a concept artist who, honestly, sometimes the concept artists dictate those color palettes as well. Like if something looks amazing on paper up front or in a painting, um, that sometimes sticks. Other time, those get scanned in, and maybe somebody else gets a hold of it and changes some of the coloring based on notes and feedback they get. But um, a shot like that, like I ended up seeing some concept art after, which kind of led to that, is that that was going to be the idea from the get-go was that like, just that those deep reds and that sunset feel. Um, I never talked to them specifically and, and put the correlation early on that it was going to feel like apocalypse now until I saw a final render of it. Um, but yeah, no, the color, the color stuff happens pretty, pretty early because that, the color dictates so much of a film down to like, especially live action films where you're going to have to design wardrobe and costumes and sets Um, and those are things that you want to know because they kind of dictate just the feel of the film. So yeah, it's super important.
1: So what other parts of, uh, the force awakens did you also work on?
2: So when I came on, we had the, uh, we were working on the Jakku sequence, which was the the main sequence I worked on. Um, and so ironically, like when you work on these films, you really, you don't see the full movie like they we call we call like the actual images that they take on set plates that get handed to us at the visual effects studio to add to it but we don't we're not usually privy to the full edit or whatever JJ's editing so you know for me spoiler alert i had no idea about han solo none so i didn't That's see so that crazy <laughs> i didn't see that until the cast and crew screening <laughs> And I as I was watching it, everything from the the parts that I had seen started to make sense. And right before it happened, I was already going, No, 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 no. My my girlfriend at times like, she's like, What's wrong? I'm like, Oh fuck, they're gonna do it. <laughs> sure enough.
0: <laughs> well, I imagine going to work each day, you just see like Steve in the cubicle to the right, who's just white faced, drinking hard liquor, being <laughs> like, guys, I can't tell you what shot I'm working on. <laughs>
2: And that happens. Dude, that happens so many times. Guys Guys will work on stuff. And, like, here's the other thing with me. I kind of decided too while I was working on it not to dive too deep because I am such a fanboy. Like, I I really wanted the moment that I think we've all had it, whatever movie it is for you guys, where you're, it just, it's just all inspiring. And I wanted that back with Star Wars. So I was like, okay, look, I'm going to look at my sequence. I'm going to look at my stuff. But I, I don't want to know too much. Like, I really... I only want to know enough as it pertains to what I'm working on. Um, But I had a couple of buddies who knew and they would always kind of allude to something, but they wouldn't tell me. So when it came out, it was just that kind of shit moment. I'm like, Oh, those bastards knew the whole time that this is how it was going to go. They should have warned me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they would say stuff like that. They're like, Oh, you're you're, uh, just wait for it. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Wait for it? What does that mean? Um, but I also <laughs> left I also was I was already gone from the studio um, And back in LA Working on uh, Valerian And the City of a Thousand Planets While they were still finishing up So like uh, that whole end third act I had no idea what was coming um, So yeah on The Jakku stuff uh, One of my other main ones was like the uh, When Ray and Finn Are kind of running through Jakku To get away and he hears the Tie Fighters, and they come punching out from the uh, the tent, and like with BB-8, and the fighters come in and shoot at him, and BB-8 gets launched. So like those shots were mine, um, and I was on those for a while as well. Um, that whole sequence there was kind of my big my big stuff in there with the Jakku stuff, uh, and just getting to anime BB-8 was rad, because you would see, for me, like being a puppeteer at one time, like to see we'd get plates where the actual gr- puppeteer was in there, I thought it was so sick. Like, I was blown away with how much practical stuff they were using. Um, so to see, basically to see them doing that, I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to mess with this stuff. But there's so many shots that were like extensions, right, where maybe the shot stopped short and they want BB-8 to keep going, or maybe like the one I have where they punch through, BB-8 wasn't even in the shot with them. So he's 100% CG in that shot.
0: That's cool. Well, as from your perspective as somebody who works with that world between practical and special effects, what do you feel about the constant nerdy Star Wars fanboy debate of is practical or special effects better? And that CG versus practical debate.
2: I think I was most excited that J.J. was very adamant about keeping as much practical as he possibly could because to me, that feels more Star Wars that feel, there's just something to that like you know when you watch when you watch the original trilogy like there's just something to that that it's not CG um, now note I, I want a job I want to stay employed but uh, I I think there's I think there's a, think there's a fine line there um, and I think he he was really smart about when and where we use that so like if the practical worked, Um, I think even us as artists there, we're all like, you know, we should really use that. That looks really good. Um, If you need us to touch it up, we will. Or, or, you know, like I said, if BBA needs to go a little further, we'll do that. But keep as much of that practical in there. Because not only us, but the fan base, you know, they'll know that. They'll see that. They'll feel that, that that's actually there. Like um, one of the other coolest moments, we were in dailies. And we were looking at something. And while we were there, some other stuff had just come in for the uh, chess set in the Falcon and they JJ was so stoked because he they wanted to try to get the original sculpted models maquettes to be used again and yeah he was like he was very adamant he's like can we get those again and they Phil Tippett who had originally animated those they had reached out to and said hey can we get these and uh they had taken turntable scans and showed JJ. So we're in there and I'm like, I'm watching this on the screen and like they're showing this and uh, the material that they used back then just degrades like that material so that they could sculpt that stuff just degrades horribly over time. So they were in rough shape. They weren't going to be used again. So what they did is they did scans and Phil, he, he got Phil Tippett back on board and Phil did maquettes again, one-to-one and and phil and his team animated those by hand in stop motion and we were seeing some of the first images and jj in the meeting lost his shit <laughs> like we all they we were all like this is the coolest thing ever like phil tipp is animating the fight again like uh you know when the bo- when i think uh, finn not- nudges it and the table comes back to life um to the point where he's like dude do we have a camera down there i want every behind the scenes footage of phil animating those things just for my own personal like collection as I can get. Um and that that's like how I was into keeping this like as authentic as possible, right? That's awesome. Yeah, nobody like jumped in and was like, hey, we should just do that in the computer. No, no, no. Everybody was on board with that feeling and looking exactly like it did uh, you know, in New Hope. Um, which was awesome. I thought that was so cool.
1: Uh so kind of transitioning a little bit away and more talking about your work how does your role differ from live action versus animated which one do you kind of prefer
2: i like both i mean i I like both uh i think my like my world has changed somewhat over time i have kids now and to be able to work on things that's in their world is really special (laughs) like until you, until you have, I don't know if you guys have kids that are when you do someday, like to work on stuff that they can sit down and they're like totally into, which I never thought I would do, uh, is insane. Like when they look at you, you're like, oh, that's Daddy's movie, or, you know, and they want to watch that. Uh, you know, recently with Frozen 2, like they were all, all about the Frozen 2. Uh, versus Star Wars, they're into because they know Daddy's really into it and they watch it, and they're now. Growing in appreciation for that, but when I worked on Force Awakens, like that wasn't really special to them. It was to all of us and me and my friends and all that. But like to them, so for work on like How to Train Your Dragon and, and Kung Fu Panda, then you know, and, and Frozen Two and all these other movies, like to them, like it's 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 uh, it's amazing. So it's like I I'm living vicariously through them right now. Um, so I I really enjoy working on those now. But there's still the side of me all the time, dude, that misses doing live action stuff. Man, like I, I tried my hardest to get on the uh, the most recent Blade Runner because that's one of my most favorite. So I wanted on twenty forty nine so bad. And I was I was a crowd supervisor on the Power Rangers movie at Digital Domain uh, when we got the green light that we were maybe going to do some Blade Runner stuff. And it was like every day I was in the visual effects supervisor's office going, "Hey, man, what about Blade Runner?" Hey, man, what about Blade Runner? Can I, can I do, I'll do one shot? That's all I want to do, one shot. Um, the same with, like, I, I'd still love my bucket list. I'd still love to work on a James Bond movie. Those are my other ones. Mm. Um, mm. So, so I miss it. Uh, but I think there's time for me to go back to that. Like, if, I, if there's ever a time I want to go back to that, I feel like I can do that. Um, but right now, I'm really enjoying the animated stuff, like, quite a bit.
0: So you're saying that your kids uh, don't have the same joy over 50-cent Bulletproof and Fight Club on Xbox? They're not sharing that kind of, that vibe? They, they think,
2: they think, here's the thing, man. Kids, kids, one, kids are kids. Uh, So it's, yeah, no matter what, understand this, guys, no matter what you work on in life. And I got to attest, this must be the same case for like how it was for Steve Jobs and Bill Gates or David Beckham, or, or Will Smith, or any, any other famous person I could think of in life, no matter what you do that the rest of the world thinks you are the coolest person in the world, your your kid will walk up and be like, that's cool, and walk away. They they, they will never grasp what you're doing as being cooler than eh, eh, whatever they're into <laughs> at the moment.
1: Oh, I, I definitely have times where I've my dad would say oh i'm doing this i'm like yeah yeah yeah, yeah what's and that's
2: it. and that's exactly it and like i i think i think for them uh i think frozen there was a moment finally i hit him like so in frozen 2 i did a shot where i actually added myself and my four kids and i snuck it into a shot and i put him in the background and i had him and i i had the shot at home and i brought the kid <laughs> i brought the kids i had the kids i was like hey come here Who's that? And I froze the frame and go, who Who's that back there? And you look and then looked. And I was like, Is that us? I said, Yeah, you're gonna be in a movie. And then it became cool. Then it became like a super cool thing that Daddy was doing. That
0: that is incredible. But
2: it's not uh It's not. It's not an, It's not an everyday thing. Trust me.
1: <laughs> Were uh, you able to throw yourself in um, on the Thor movie?
2: No, because Thor, I did Korg. Really? So. Yeah, so I was doing facial animation for Korg, um, so there was no way to throw myself in that. But you know, that's a difference though between live action and and and, uh, and animated movies. Like, especially doing the stuff I do now with crowds, you know, we're filling in the background, so it's like we. I have a lot of opportunity if if there's characters who resemble me or whatever, I could I could play around with that. But like live action movies, man, you are stuck usually to what they shot. So yeah, so like the they. Between animation and and live action, like just the crowd stuff in general tends to be different, whereas the the animation stuff, it's an open world because we're just we're not locked to anything that was shot. Right. So we could usually you're still doing what the director wants and you stay within the world. um, But being able to add me or add little things in the back that are like something special to me is a lot easier versus like live action where we're getting film that was shot like they're in a location. They shot this uh you're really locked into the constraints of what's happening there um and you really don't have a lot of opportunity to get too crazy with sneaking easter eggs in or in that case in my case personal easter eggs where it's like me and my kids um but you could do funny you could do some funny stuff i remember on mummy three uh I, i i did the crowd stuff for that and there's it's all these uh Armies of, of skeletons and mummies fighting in the background, but I would like place them down uh, on the terrain. And I know one of the shots just for the just just for the hell of it. Like I spelled out my name in, in, the, in, in the armies. I did I did Jack across the back of the field. So if you had a camera, if they if they had a camera that was actually looking down on it, uh, you would have saw the army fighting in my name. But from a distance, it looked you could you can't tell uh, what, what's happening from that but uh yeah we're (laughs) you're a little more limited though for sure
1: so we're we're huge marvel and star wars fans um so one of the things i was wondering wondering is um what's it like working like how what's how's it different working from different studios like the marvel studio and the star wars studio like
2: um well one the level of well actually they both kind of had this like so for a long time, I'm with you guys. I'm a huge Marvel fan. And I and I also thought, like, I was doing all these other projects, and I'm like, man, I'm going to miss my window on getting to work on a Marvel project. Like, every, all my other buddies were doing all these other cool movies. Um, and I kept missing opportunities, right? And um, a lot of it was, like, security. So, like, Star Wars was very locked down at ILM. Like, we production was in its own... Uh, key carded room, like you—you you couldn't, like nobody could just walk in there. Not even like people who worked at the studio, because uh, their key card was like locked into that. Um, and as time went on, and, and I went to other studios, I realized Marvel's like that to the tenth degree, man. Um, like down to like third floor. Who does a lot of their previs. Uh, I was working on Christmas Chronicles uh, for Netflix, which is a, uh, this Christmas movie with Kurt Russell, and. All my friends were working on uh, Endgame, I believe, or just just uh, Infinity War. They were put in a part of a building the same way. Like I couldn't go see them. I couldn't even go in to talk to them. I couldn't do unless they came out of the room to talk to me because it's just so locked down. They Marvel does like what they call a Marvel audit at a studio, and like your main computer can't be connected to the internet. So like if you connect to the internet, you need to do some crazy VPN thing. Um, All your doors have to have key cards. Like they're they're. They're insanely secure about their IP. Like they, they, they've had a couple moments, and I'm sure you guys can remember. There's been a couple leaks over the years of different things, um, and those are huge things to them. Huge things to them. So they they do everything in their power to kind of lock that down, to where like none of that none of that you know leaks out. Uh, and when I was on Deadpool, we were actually I was on the Fox lot in an old 1920s bungalow. That was like there from the original Fox days on the studio lot. Uh, and we were all like just us in that building and no one could come in. No one could come out. Um, besides, you know, when you leave and, you know, you, you know, you're allowed to go home at night. But outside of that, uh, they keep it really, really locked down, man. Um, which I get, you know, I, I you know, they a lot of these movies, how they tie into each other, you know, one spoiler could really diverge and get people info for the next three films. And that kind of takes away from their licensing, you know?
1: So my hot take for this episode is that I like Deadpool two more than Deadpool one. Uh, so were you able to animate the Merc with the mouth and have a lot of fun on that, that, uh, that movie?
2: Yeah. The, the unfortunate side effect, the, f- the funnest thing I did um, didn't make it in, which sucks. Uh, I had a, but I could talk about it now because, you know, I, unless they come sue me for this, this infinite knowledge, it's not a spoiler. So like uh, when Colossus is fighting Juggernaut, so there's some shots i made it in there. Like he punches him at one point, sends him into this brick wall, but there was this moment because I was doing previous for it. There was this moment where they like, they wanted me to do like this, this crazy statue of Liberty a ufc style move to where colossus kind of breaks juggernaut's arm um and, and you guys would have to look this up to know what i'm talking about the statue of liberty move it's like this crazy like kung fu meets ufc it's like where you run up somebody's body you grab their arm pull it straight up and then use your body weight to basically do like a uh this arm lock as you pull the person down. So I had all these cool shots where I had, it was, it was, I was like so stoked, man, where I had Colossus like run up Juggernaut just for scale. Like, and you guys know how big Colossus is to start with. Like, he does these moves where he kind of moves up and grabs it and grabs his arm and goes back and snaps. And like, when I was done with him, like, holy shit, this is so badass. Uh, And then it, like, didn't, and it didn't make, and I didn't, and the other thing is, too, is you don't know if this is going to make it in the film or not, you know, when you work on it. Um, So that one, that one didn't get in, um, but I'm still going to see if I can get a hold of it, because the animation is just so much fun. And I think fanboys would think it was super cool, if you're into that stuff. Um, uh, And then I did some other stuff with just, with just uh, Deadpool himself. Like, you know, when they're in the, when they're chasing in the, the, uh, the prison vehicle? And it's like him, Cable, the, like they're fighting. There's a part where he gets knocked down and he's on the side kind of holding on. We did all these shots too that didn't make it in where I had him running across rooftops of cars, like holding on to the side of the, side of one of the doors that gets spun out. And I have him running across. And at one point, like a car comes by, almost family, uh, family vacation style with all this luggage rack that like <laughs> just totally just... <laughs> Totally hits him, and, you know, he's got, like, clothes and, and shirts and panties in his face all flying off him, um, which fit really good when we looked at it and cut it in. But uh, a lot of that got cut out of the final movie, um, which sucks, but uh, it was still super fun to work on, though.
1: I mean, if you ever uh, get a hold of it, maybe you just kind of leak it and uh, send, it, uh, send it our way.
2: Um. <laughs> to put it out there.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you said, like, oh, if you're into that kind of stuff, I, you'd have to be dead, not to be into, like, a badass move with Deadpool. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, I I was, just, I was happy to get to work on both. Like, I i wanted, I, I definitely wanted something with Colossus I wanted to be able to mess with. And uh, and then, yeah, anything with Deadpool. Like, just give me any shots. Um, I was coming on to that really late, though, because I had been on Christmas Chronicles for quite a while. Um. And it was right before the holidays, and I was like, I was like, "Hey, do you have anything else going on?" Like, well, we kind of have this. You know, would you be interested? In it? I was like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, Why send me over there." <laughs> um, yeah, so it was super fun.
1: That's cool. Um, so we don't know how much you're allowed to kind of talk about this, so. Uh, but um, maybe you can give us a little uh, a pod exclusive. But so Avatar came out a while ago, and Avatar really like advanced technology in a lot of ways. Uh, can you kind of talk about maybe how Avatar 2 is you know moving technology and what you're kind of doing on that
2: so I'm not doing anything anymore I'm not there at the studio anymore um, I worked on parts for 2 and 3 that'll be out in the foreseeable future ideally um, yeah I can't go into too much crazy because like the Marvel stuff they, they, they're they trying really hard to keep that locked down and um, I kind of like my job so mm. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it um i I will tell you though it's insanely impressive man i to to have just been on the set with cameron was kind of a was kind of a dream and to see what they're doing and seeing how they're pushing the tech and just seeing how damn beautiful like these films are i think it's going to give fans everything they want and probably more to be honest
0: that's exciting to hear. I mean, like, you don't have to give out too much. What well, I was expecting you to just be like, yeah, um, all I can say is there's blue people, and that's basically all I can legally allow.
2: Yeah, I mean, to say it's, a, it, to say it's cool, I, I mean, it, it, yeah, I, which, which I remember doing. I, I had interviews when I was actually working on Force Awakens, which was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> what, can you talk, what can you say? I'm like, it, it's really cool. There's
0: <laughs> um. like a Star Wars <laughs> aspect to it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 in a it's in a universe far far away like i guess you, you know so it's the same kind of thing i i but i think everybody's gonna be super awesome. stoked but like everything else i didn't get to see the full things and uh but it, it it's 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 gonna be awesome. pretty rad we check sure. it out
0: and see kind of what shots you worked on in there
2: yeah it'll be cool to see what what makes it in once again what makes it into a film and what doesn't make it into a film yeah. so we'll see
0: um Kind of some general ideas. We wanna we love to talk with people who have really propelled themselves well in their careers. What kind of advice would you give for those who are interested in pursuing a career in animation, film, and kind of that aspect of media?
2: I think it's like the 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 whole idea of of not giving up, I think is the big thing. I think uh I think the industry, this industry in general could be very daunting to get into. I think there's a lot of people who do it. There's a lot of schools who teach it now, but I find that people who make it are the people who, who want it more than the other person. You know, I, I, I attest to sports because I played basketball my whole life. And like the, the guys who made it and the guys who make it on the next level are just the ones who want it more. They want to put in work that other people just don't want to put in, you know, um, Hey, we're going out tonight cool. You know what? I'm going to stay in. I'm going to work on this. Like the guys who decide to make those choices during, you know, are, are their limited youth before they could get into the industry are the guys who are going to make that guys or girls who are going to make that jump. Um, in, And then even when they try to make it in sticking with it, you know, even if they fail originally kind of sticking with it, because this is really what they want to do. And you really need to want to do this because it's not, uh, it's not always the easiest. It's not always the fun, you know, fun. It's, it's, which is weird to say to people, right? You know, outsiders looking in, dude, you have this most but I, there's a lot of times, like I, I was doing like the, uh, I was working on the Magnum PI pilot. I did 17 days straight at 12 hour days. Um, like you, you, it runs its course, right? And at the end of the day, it still comes down to this is a job. You know, this is something I do to support myself and my family and everybody else. And it's awesome. I get to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but it's a it's it's a job, so you really have to want to be able to do that and uh, put in those hours. And once you put in those hours, there's a lot more hours on the back end, too, um, that you're going to have to put in once you get in. You're going to have to sacrifice a lot of stuff. You're going to potentially have to move to other cities, uh, other countries. You know, I just did last year, I just did a year, I guess it'd be almost two years ago now, uh, I worked at Blue Sky on Spies in Disguise in New York. And I spent a year in New York and I was traveling back and forth twice a month to see my kids here in LA. Like, you know, as fun as that sounds, man, flying that much runs its course too. Like you just, these are the sacrifices you make to stay in this industry. And, and, um, but if you can start that way and start with that attitude at the beginning to get into the industry, I think you're comfortable with that transition afterwards too.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's been a common theme for everyone we've talked to that, persistence with it because you even mentioned like you had times where you had to like crash at of buddies before going into a big film like force awakens you just have to be really adaptable
2: i stayed i stayed at i stayed in his guest bedroom in napa uh during that whole project and if anybody's familiar with san francisco napa from the presidio which is in the city of san francisco it was a two-hour drive every morning um each way uh Where I was coming in over the Golden Gate Bridge, over traffic, everything else. But you know, I the love of that project kind of put that you know the two hours to the wayside. And I kind of every day, even if I wasn't super stoked to get up, I would kind of remind myself, no one's gonna cry for me (laughs) (laughs) because I'm working on this. No, no one's gonna shed a tear for my two hour commute uh, or me complaining about it because I'm working on this movie. So. And I reminded myself of that daily, like, dude, I'm working on this. This is it. And it's not forever. It's for this. So suck it up. Have fun. You know, do, do it for this amount of time. And then, you know, and go back to doing whatever else you're doing. But yeah, it's <laughs> persistence and hustling, man. That's, that's the key to this, dude. And networking. You know, networking and, and working. I, I tell a lot of kids who I mentor, making sure to work on your social skills will end up paying off in the long run uh, in this career as well.
1: Thank you for that advice. There, that's a there. There's a lot to that, and definitely like Gary was saying, like you know, persistence. Like I think Rick was saying, like uh, just like don't give up, which is you know oh, yeah. another another really big like huge piece of advice. But kind of taking a little more uh, funnier side before we uh, wrap up this podcast, Gary and I are huge, 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 and I I think I, I gotta can't say it again, huge Nick Cage fans. So what was it like to work on the face of an angel that is Nick Cage? <laughs>
2: we just did i'm laughing even more so because we just did so we i the 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 show i'm on now we do dailies pretty much every day and we do these zoom meetings and it's like my team and we do themes with our virtual backgrounds and we had a nick cage day about three (laughs) days ago so i could i appreciate that so yeah national treasure which which he is completely a national treasure we agree which you guys totally need to talk to Steven Miller uh, who's directed him before. He's, he's a good friend of mine at Rick's um, I have to hook you guys up. because He's got some good Nick Cage stories, but he, uh, I, I did, I did previs for, for national treasure two for like, I'm trying to think how long it was for a while because they walked in. This is the first time this had ever happened. I, and usually like for previs and movies, like I'll usually get storyboards that they hand us for a movie. And they'll say like, "Hey, here's you know, here's what we're thinking. Go ahead and try it in the computer. Start to work out previs, which is like taking what's on a storyboard and kind of blocking it in with real cameras, real movement, so that directors kind of know what to do on set. Um, and honestly, you're kind of directing the film at that point. And this was like the extreme. It was me and a friend of mine who was a mentor to me, this guy named Matt Hackett. They walked in and they basically dropped like this 300 page script." For, on our desk, and they're like, "Hey, you two, previs the third act." And they like literally walked away from us. <laughs> we're like, "What?" And Matt looked. At him, and he puts his head down. And, and Matt Matt had worked on the Matrix movies, dude. Matt, like, he, he's a badass, and he just kind of put his head down, shaking it, like he knew what was coming. I had no idea. I'm like, "Oh, so they just want us to read this to get an idea before we get the real stuff?" He's like, "No, no, we need to read each <laughs> each sentence and you know each paragraph and kind of shoot a scene." based on what we're reading i'm like uh, uh okay so so we had the whole third act you know when they're they they go down and they're trying to find the lost city and they're kind of all the calamity that leads them to the city like that whole sequence is me and matt pretty much dude shot for shot we created that and they stuck pretty close to what me and matt shot that's
1: awesome
2: down to like down to even my under when they're you remember when they're on the, the teeter yeah, and trying to balance that yeah that's all that that section is mostly all me so even the downward shot like that's my camera i gave them with the lens and stuff and how i wanted to shoot it uh him jumping over the barrel like to run away that was me um because i'm with you guys dude i'm
0: all about well, you it. have to walk into work each day and think like WWNCD. what would nick cage do as you're pre-visiting nick cage <laughs> and all his might
2: i'm a i'm a big uh the rock fan so uh yeah, the, any anything he's in, and I love those movies. Like I love oh, the first one yeah. a lot. So I, I was I was all in. I was That's all awesome.
1: in. <laughs> in college, in college, Gary and I roomed together, and uh, we would go to Family Video. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like a Blockbuster. And the guy would when we walk in, he kind of knew us, and he'd be like, "Yo, I got a new <laughs> Nick Cage movie. For the week. You guys want to check it out?" And,
2: and it's he is in a ton of oddball like, like. Indie style films, B and C level films. And I think a lot of people don't even realize he's it.
1: Oh yeah. Like the one where he thinks he needs to kill Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Uh, what is that? One man army. Yes. <laughs> or army of one. I think it's
2: called oh, like the, 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 the guy I was talking about Stephen Miller, like when he directed him, he had him only for a day. And, and he, uh, yeah, he, he edits it and he does such a good job. Like Stephen's such a good director. That he had he he basically has it, and it looks like he's in much more of the movie. But he only could shoot him for a day, and and Nick gave him like all out for that day, like insane like levels. So yeah, I'll 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 try to get you guys the info because I'm sure you oh, love those we stories. Out
0: over that, oh yeah. But justice, you have a favorite question you like to <laughs> ask each guest before we finish the pod.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. This is a this is just something that I always ask because um you know a lot of. A lot of people we interview have a lot more experience than we do, and you can always learn from uh, someone who's a little bit older. So, uh, what has professionally been your greatest failure, and how have you learned from that?
2: (laughs) Uh, Professionally, greatest failure. There's there's so many ways to answer that. Uh, Are we looking for like maybe a project? It
1: could be anything. Just anything that you you considered like this is like my biggest failure, and I you know this is how I grew from it, and look where I am now.
2: I always joke with kids, like in general, I said, man, I said, look, I life sometimes horribly. I career really well, but I life bad, <laughs> which, are two, which tend to be two different things. If you really look at that, and especially when you get into your career in this career, um, I look at project wise, cause I, I saw you guys sent me that question. I, it, it's funny. It made me really think about it a little deeper than normal. Um, I think career-wise, though, like I, the the Avatar sequels, that that turned out to be probably one of my worst experiences um, in the industry for for a lot of reasons. I mean, there was many many cool moments that I would never take back, but I'm also very very happy I'm not there anymore, and. I think after the movies come out, I'll be able to talk about it even more so. but uh, it was really rough. I mean it was re- it was it was really rough for the time I was there. It was really tough on me mentally. Uh, it was l- really tough on me physically. And um, I would bring that home with me. And you know, with anybody's job, this including whatever you know you you guys get into, like you really try hard not to bring your work home. Sometimes it's not bad, right? You know, sometimes you come home, you want to talk to your spouse or partner about what you did, and, and that's awesome. And I trust me, I have I never have a shortage of that kind of stuff. But it gets pretty bad when you're when it starts to affect like anxiety and, and your stress levels in general, or you start stressing on like a Sunday night thinking about going in on a Monday. And I think a lot of people probably can relate to that depending on whatever they're doing in life. I think it becomes a little harder on our end in our industries because not everybody's always going to understand that. Not everybody's always going to understand that. How could, how could that be? How could that be a, not a good experience? What are you talking? Dude, you're doing this blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's a job and you're, you know, you there's certain things that you're required to do and certain expectations and certain egos that are there and all these things that can add to sometimes a pretty toxic work environment. And, um, and that's, I've, that's in any industry, man. I have friends who who have more Grammys than I have shirts who would say the same thing and what they do, uh, friends who are directors across the board. Um, and they all kind of, if you start talking, they all have stories like that. And, you know, unless you've been there, or understand that, it, it's really tough to get out to most people how something that could be so amazing to some people is just can sometimes be a nightmare to other people. But that was more like, of a, I guess, of an experience that was just overall. Well, just I think not that's a great.
0: testament to what you mentioned with that perseverance with these roles. That you have to sometimes realize it's not all playing with TIE fighters and just like nerding out and having a good time. That it's hard work and you have to, even when it's something great, realize that work is there and that this is kind of the path you've chosen.
2: Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put that. I, I think there's and I think it's also the level you're at. I, I tell a lot of people, like um, you know, if I think it would have been completely different if that had been my first job out of the gate. And I think I hadn't, hadn't worked for so many years and known the industry and, and known how things can work and how they can be. And had it been maybe my first job or second job, I, I think I'd probably very much still be there. Um, I probably, I think I would still know better by this point, but I, I would tell myself daily that I need to suck this up because this will be something that leads to something later on for me which I think is important. I think it's important for anybody in this industry. I think, I, and, I, and I, now that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean if you're being treated completely horrible and, uh, and, and you fall into any kind of me too movement style scenario, do not be there. There's nothing worth that. But I think there would have been a little bit more of me saying, I need to suck this up because this is too big a project. I need to do this. I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm hating life right now, but Hey, it'll pay off someday. Uh, for me, I've hit a lot of my goals like I, 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 I focus more now on trying to focus on my life at home and what's happening there and it's still my career and I love doing these kind of talks because it really rejuvenates me but you know there's there's a lot more that's important to me now than just trying to get into the industry and be in the industry so I think I would have the older me that was like this this just isn't an environment I want to be in anymore And that's something you'll just have to ask yourself when you get into it. But I try to tell, you know, students and different people that I mentor kind of how to handle that and how to cope with that the best they can. And, and that persistence, you know, the industry sometimes tests you like that and wants to try to push you out to make room for the other 10,000, 50,000 kids who want to be in your role, you know?
1: Yeah, I can, I can really relate to that. I don't work in the film industry, but I definitely work in a, I work in a lab and, um, my wife and I, uh, literally had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago where my last job, she like was like, you know, you always bring like work home and it's like not a good situation. It's a toxic environment. And like, it took me a really long time to learn how to, you know, like realize that that was going on. And like, what can I do to make sure I'm not bringing this home so that I'm affecting our relationship.
2: And it's difficult because you want to come home and you, you know, the, the person you have, whoever's home, your partner, guy, girl, dog, you lay it all on them. And, and they, you know, that their, their role in your life is to be there for you. But, you know, depending on how the environment is that, that rubs off on them. And that becomes, that becomes at some point, just as much their problem as it is your problem. And, And it becomes your job to kind of find out, okay, how do I overcome this? What's the best strategy? And, you know, for me, it, it was as easy as to think about, okay, what's my next job? you know what what else is out there what's going on and luckily in the entertainment industry there's always something happening that's cool there's always the next big thing you know for, for every avatar there's another star wars movie for every star wars movie look there's another matrix movie being made like you know there's always there's always something right that you want to work on and once you've kind of done it you're like oh, oh now what you know, like like you guys if you both had worked on a star wars movie and i talked to you hey oh, now what you're like oh i uh, well, I, I don't know another Star Wars movie like <laughs> there's the, it it kind of you 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 peak and then you you kind of need to reassess where do where like what are what are my new goals like what do I want to do like I had goals when I moved to LA that I hit within the first two years I was out here three years I was out here and I was I I struggled a little bit with a little bit of a depression of. What do I do now? Like, what are, what are my next goals in life? What do I, where, where do I go from here? Because so I'm doing it. I did this and I did this and I did this. Okay, cool. What, what now? So I think it's important to keep reevaluating your goals, which include when, if you're in a toxic environment, reevaluating why you're there and going, look, I could probably do this somewhere else. Right. And I can guarantee everybody who's listening to this, there is another place that is not like the place you're at. And it will probably be a totally different scenario.
0: I like that you brought that up because a lot of people do look at this film industry and just this area of content creation as just you're trying to get to Star Wars. You're trying to get to this or that, but that there's more to it and that there's always something cool. And I like that mindset that you've kind of developed over time as you've kind of quote unquote made it that there's always something fun and there's always a joy to find within the rest of it.
2: Yeah, and 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 that'll always happen. I like I'm consistently thinking about what is going to be, you know, what's my next big thing? Like, where what do I want to be on next? Where do I want to be next? What do I want to be doing next? You know, for me right now, I'm still riding this Disney high uh, that I that I work at Disney Animation, and for me, I see it as like this crazy full circle of me working in a theme park as like Goofy and Chewbacca, and and working on these IPs for these movies. And then, you know, 15, 20 years later, I'm walking the halls of where these movies are made. And that's been amazing. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, I'm probably going to ride this out as long as I can and kind of see where it goes. You know, unless they come over and they say, hey, we're going to do a, uh, a Chewbacca series that we want you to be a part of. and you have uh, to
0: don the Parker <laughs> onesie <laughs> once again.
2: And I jump ship. <laughs>
0: Well, I think it's safe to say for both myself and Justice that you have reached the pinnacle of your career by guest starring on Pod Wars podcast. I mean, Star Wars is pretty great, but we're quite proud of this production. I'm
2: done. I'm yeah, done I'm yeah. done now, boys. Thank you. I think I'm going to retire at this
0: point. Well, thanks again so much, Jack, for coming on the show. I think you've added a lot more to just our listeners' appreciation of the media that they enjoy and the... People kind of behind it, so just thank you so much for coming on.
2: Oh, absolutely, guys! No, it was a, it was a pleasure, man. I I, uh, I love nerding out about <laughs> all this stuff and then some. So,
0: so thank you so much, and to everyone, have a great week. <laughs>